Today on Ag News Daily. The growers, with the assistance of our uh, dealer network, what it allows them to do is make real-time and informed irrigation uh, decisions. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined by Delaney Howell. How are you doing today? Not too bad, Mike. How about you? Not too bad at all. We've also got Ashton Carr on the line. Ashton, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing pretty good, Mike. Tell you what, we've got things happening in the world of agriculture. First and foremost, I suppose we've got to talk about the huge sale of corn that was made to China and announced this morning. Delaney, were you following up on this? I certainly was, Mike. It is some big news for sure. Yeah, China about 1.762 million tons of corn. Now, this is new crop corn. So this is corn that isn't expected to be shipped until this year's harvest comes in, probably shipped, you know, December, January. And this is the fourth largest one-day corn sale in history. So it's pretty fantastic. I, I really, this builds on several of China's purchases. Last week, again, they have been very aggressively buying corn. Again, by and large, they are buying predominantly new corn, which, as we talked with Darren Newsom about a few weeks ago, could be troublesome because it gives them plenty of time to cancel the sale. But it's interesting to see. And I was curious as to why this was happening. We know that uh, Chinese corn prices have been skyrocketing. Apparently, over the weekend, in Chinese social media, there was a video that circulated of China's corn warehouses um, showing that Basically, all of this corn was moldy, and there were large amounts of foreign material mixed through the corn. This was shared on Weibo or Weibo. I'm not sure how you say it. Basically, Chinese Facebook. And um, this prompted Sinograin, the uh, country's grain manager, to investigate and look into their warehouses. And they came back and said, well, everything looks great. And yet they showed up and bought a pile of American corn. I think there are definitely some issues in the the Chinese crane stockpiling area that are coming to light right now. And uh, the U.S. seems to be the beneficiary. Yeah, it's definitely going to see if that's enough to move the markets. But the other updates or uh, addition to that story is not only did they buy U.S. corn, they also bought about 129,000 metric tons of soybeans, again, delivery in the 2020-2021 marketing year. But then I haven't seen this reported anywhere else, but Arlen Suderman, I'm sure some of you follow on Twitter, tweeted out early this morning that USDA has confirmed China buying another 69.4 million bushels of U.S. corn in the past 24 hours, along with 4.7 million bushels of U.S. soybeans, all for new crop delivery. So I'm not sure if Arlen got those numbers by adding some new sales plus this 1.762 million metric tons, or if that's in addition to that. Oh, interesting. All right. Yeah, I'm not sure. Not sure, but uh, keep an eye on that. It does seem like you said, Mike, Chinese demand is starting to pick up. Yeah, it's a good thing. You know, demand is the side of the equation that we really haven't been able to figure out much given all this COVID uncertainty. So if China can actually step in and not just make some big purchases, but actually take delivery, then things could start really uh, looking up a little bit for the uh, the American commodity scene. Well, one thing that was not looking up this week was 
ratings, crop progress ratings for corn and soybeans. We saw yesterday corn came in down 2% at 69% of the crop now rated good to excellent. Soybeans down 3% overall with about 68% of the crop good to excellent. So, you know, not a huge drop there, probably not quite enough to make the market super excited, but Definitely seeing a little bit of volatility because of uh, weather, inclement weather across the nation. Yeah. Yep. Well, weather's going to be a hot topic here. We're getting into pollination for corn. We got about three weeks before we're really talking bean, uh, you know, uh, setting pods and everything very heavily. So, yeah, weather's going to continue to be a market mover. Ashton, what are you watching today? Well, today I am looking out for the U.S. and Japan. They expanded the organic equivalents to include livestock products, which I thought was pretty interesting. The U.S. Trade Representative's Office says the organic equivalents agreement or arrangement, I should say, with Japan has been expanded to include livestock products. And trade officials say the expansion will reduce costs and streamline the process for anyone in the organic supply chain by requiring only one organic certification. And Chief Agricultural Negotiator Greg Dowd says the expanded arrangement protects and increases access for American organic farmers, ranchers, and businesses to the third largest U.S. organic export market. The Japan Agricultural Standards now requires organic livestock products imported from the U.S. to either be certified under the JAS or the USDA organic regulations. And this expansion agreement will go into effect this Thursday, July 16th. All right. Well, hopefully making uh, making life a little easier, getting those exports up. That is a story around the world. I've got to take us back. You know, the other side of the demand ledger isn't just exports. We're talking corn, at least. Well, and soybeans. We've got biofuels. And in order for biofuels to have a thriving market, we need people out there using gasoline. Excuse me. <laughs> Sorry. And OPEC announced in a recent uh, meeting on in London that they expect global oil demand to climb a record 7 million barrels per day in 2021. They do say that that will be a record jump in oil consumption, but total consumption is still going to be below the 2019 levels. They do think we are still going to be dealing with reduced travel due to coronavirus, they don't see a whole lot of optimism as we get through the rest of this year, but you know, hopefully we'll find a little better news on the horizon as folks get out there and drive. Yeah, unfortunately, though, I just don't see us driving a ton because see, we're starting to see stuff shut back down again, unfortunately. Yeah, Delaney, you know, I'm sure you're referring there to what's happening in California. Basically, bars and restaurants have been closed down again for in-person dining. And uh, word is that something similar might happen very soon in Texas if it hasn't already been announced. I, I haven't, didn't see anything as of this morning. And apparently, Louisiana might be very close to making that same kind of uh, decision. Yeah, and I think it's only a matter of time before other states follow suit. But talking about CFAP again here... Ashton and I mentioned it a little bit yesterday on the podcast that they are going to release the rest of those funds, but we also saw USDA share some updated numbers on how much they have paid out to farmers and are coming in at just under $6 billion. And 
if you look at a breakdown by state, Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Texas are the top five states to receive that funding. And if you look at commodity breakdown, cattle producers are actually the number one group of folks to receive the most money, followed by dairy producers corn producers and a few others there, but uh, just thought that was interesting. And again, that signup is still going on. They're releasing that second round or that last 20% here by the end of August. So it's definitely, you know, something worth taking a little time and getting signed up for if you haven't already. Yeah. Yeah. Take the money. When somebody hands you money, take it, you know, um, uh, speaking of, of government stuff, we've got more news on the Dakota Access Pipeline. It continues to be shut down. I believe all the oil has been drained out of it by now. It is basically just a long, empty tube in the ground after that court ruling that said they had to shut it down because the Army Corps of Engineers did not do an appropriate job siting the pipeline under Lake Oahe. Well... As of this morning, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has also jumped into this case. They said they will file an appeal to that judge's decision. So this will be the first time that the uh, President Trump's administration is actually going to be involved in this dispute. Previously, it was just the uh, uh, Native American tribes against the private owner of the pipeline, Energy Transfer Partners LP. But since the judge said it was LP, uh, the Corps of Engineers' fault, now the Corps of Engineers are getting in there basically saying, you know, we made the right decision. You've got to appeal your ruling. And uh, so we'll see what happens here as this thing goes forward. Yeah, that'll be another big story to continue to watch here. Do you think that'll have yeah. any impact on, I mean, I suppose, commodity prices? Yeah, so that's a great question, Delaney. And yes and no. Uh, will it have broad implications for commodity pricing on the Chicago Board of Trade? Probably not, at least not in a huge way. Where it will have an impact is basis for cash grain prices on the Northern Plains, as 570,000 barrels per day has to get loaded back into some other means of transport, most likely train cars, that is going to tie up a railway and really make it a lot more difficult for them to ship rail carloads of grain out, which means we're going to end up in that situation we were in in 2013-2014, where grain just sits on the ground in North Dakota, Minnesota, Montana, and uh, it can't get moved, and we see bases fall apart. So that's where the impact is going to hit agriculture. Okay, got it. What other headlines are we keeping an eye on today? You know, I tell you, I am all out of news for today. Ashton, what else are you watching? I think all my news has been covered. All right. Well, let's see. I'm flipping through my tabs here. I think we've hit everything except for a new quarterly report from CoBank. Their knowledge exchange, which is their research department, um, did a quarterly report looking at how businesses and ag businesses in particular are adjusting to coronavirus. They said the rebound U.S. economy post-COVID, you know, the worst of it back in April and May is real, but post-shutdown economic gains are a long way away, and it will be a grind to shore up this shaky economy. So nothing that I think we're not already aware of, but just, you know, disappointing to see it in yet another report. Yeah, agreed. Well, as we talked about earlier, we did get a huge sale of corn to China in the new crop. You would have expected to see the corn market move, and it did, but it moved to the downside. Taking a look at the markets today, corn is lower, 
Beans and wheat were higher on the day. September corn down two and a half cents at 326 and a quarter. December down two and a half as well to finish at 334 even. In soybeans, the August was up four and a quarter cents, closed at 878 and a quarter. November new crop up two and a half, finished at 877 and three quarters. Over in the wheat pit, July, excuse me, not July, July has expired. In Chicago, wheat September is up two and a half cents at 527 and a quarter. December up one and three quarters to close at 533 even. Looking over at the world of livestock, we've got weakness all, all the way down the meat complex today. August live cattle down 85 cents at 98.80. October down $1.10, closed at 103.10. Feeder cattle also down on the day. The August off 32.5 cents at 136.72.50. September down at 137.47 half. Lean hogs, August contract down $1.35 at 49.92 half. The October down 67.50 to close at 49.67 and a half. Looking over at the dairy market, class three milk, we did see the August contract down 40 cents at $23 and the September down 61 to close at 20.10. Without further ado, Ashton, why don't you tell us who we're talking to for today's hashtag Tech Tuesday. Today, we are talking to Nick Emanuel, who is the head of sales at CropEx. Today on the podcast, we have Nick Emanuel, who's head of sales at CropX. Now, if you haven't heard of CropX, Nick is about to give us the rundown. So Nick, why don't you go ahead and hop in and do that for us and give us a little bit of information about what CropX is. Yeah, thank you. So CropX is a precision irrigation company uh, focused on supplying growers irrigation management services through an advanced hardware and software platform, which consists of a soil moisture probe in the field with multiple sensors that is able to detect and analyze the soil moisture uh, content and availability throughout the soil profile of the active and growing rooting crop. And it sends all that information back to a very intuitive and advanced software platform available both on mobile apps and websites as well. So you are on mobile, you're in the app store, and you have a website. So can you just give us a, a quick run through of what your platform looks like? Sure. And and so maybe taking a step back too, um, we have CropEx works through a dealer distribution network uh, throughout the United States. And that was has recently grown exponentially over the last year when CropEx merged with CropMetrics, which was another irrigation, uh, precision irrigation service provider. Um, and CropMetrics had built uh, an established dealer network of over 200 dealers nationwide. And the focus of that dealer network is really to help the grower utilize and understand this technology. So the dealers actually provide a full service uh, turn turnkey uh, service that goes in and we install the soil moisture probe for the grower. That soil moisture probe, as I mentioned earlier, has multiple sensors uh, throughout the profile that is able to detect the current soil moisture and sends it back to a software platform that analyzes all that information and provides uh, 
real-time information and data from the field showing the active soil moisture from multiple depths and then summarizes that for the available water content for that crop for the entire soil profile. And in a nutshell, what that allows the the growers with the assistance of our uh, dealer network, what it allows them to do is makes real-time and informed irrigation uh, decisions. Basically, when to start watering, when to stop, and how much to water, um, you know, not only uh, each week, uh, but each day during the growing season. Ultimately, uh, improving our efficiency, uh, irrigation efficiency, which also then plays a big role in nutrient efficiency and final production in the end. Well, awesome. It sounds uh, very interesting. I'm very uh, intrigued by soil and all the analytics that we can get from from soil. And so I, I want to talk about the timeline. So what, is, what does that look like from actually taking this data and digesting it and giving it back to the farmer and, and telling them what exactly they need to do? Um, you know, it, it's pretty real time. So the, the typical service usually involves, uh, you know, growers will place their order for the service, usually prior to the season. And then our growers keep in close contact with their local dealer as soon as that field is planted. And soon after emergence, our dealers go out and install that soil moisture probe. We want to make sure that the crop is emerged fully and we have a good plant stand where that soil moisture probe then is installed between, right between two actively growing plants. And that is for the reason to really actively monitor and measure not only the soil moisture, but we can also measure the active uh, rooting depth and activity of those surrounding plants. So as soon as that probe is installed, it takes a reading, is able to send that information back uh, via cellular or satellite communication today, and you can get data real-time instantly from the field. Now, from there, it usually takes, you know, three to four days up to a week to get any useful information from that data because we start to look at the trend lines on where that soil moisture was today, where it was yesterday, where it was a few days ago. And then more importantly, our software then also has built in an automated forecasting and modeling system that takes all of that current sensor information and then based on modeled crop growth information, we can then forecast what the next few days of soil moisture is going to look like to help not only give that grower what's happening now, but what's really going to be happening tomorrow and the next day or two afterwards to help them schedule and plan their future irrigations. Gotcha. Okay. So um, you're, you're working with soil, you're working with the land. Is there any specific crops that you work with or is it just kind of um, whatever a farmer is growing? Yeah, no, this is applicable to all irrigation applications. Um, the majority of our business is in center crop, 
uh, or sorry, center pivot row crop uh, farming, but uh, it is very applicable to drip irrigation applications and all crops that involve or revolve around either of those irrigation applications. And and we do have some people also using it on uh, the old furrow or gravity flow irrigation situations. But there is no limitation on on crop or or crop type or management system aside from that. We we have a little bit of a following outside of the US and South America, Canada, and a couple of European countries. I want to know if you guys are are offered outside of the US, if your services extend past the US. Uh, yes, CropX has a presence worldwide. Uh, CropX is actually based in Israel. Um, so much of the, the European countries um, and everything uh, around us is covered. And we've also got a strong presence in, in South America as well. So again, uh, crop metrics had the big distribution and presence uh, throughout the United States and might be uh, maybe the term or the company people are more familiar with. But when we joined forces, that really grew the worldwide presence. Well, I do have uh, one more thing, actually. And uh, if our listeners want to keep up with CropX and see what happens in the future with you guys, how can they do that? How can they reach you on social media? Yeah, you can find uh, CropX on the web, just uh, CropX.com. Our active social media platforms are actually the, the CropMetrics pages. So you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, just at crop metrics, C R O P M E P R I C S. Um, and, uh, we, we, we have a lot of active presence on social media and everything is linked between, uh, the crop metrics and crop X pages. Well, awesome, Nick. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come on the podcast and talk to us. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you. Again, I really just want to take the time to thank Nick for coming on the podcast today. And uh, it's always interesting to hear about, you know, things going on in the ag tech world, thanks to our hashtag Tech Tuesday episodes. And if you've ever missed a hashtag Tech Tuesday episode, you can catch up on those at agnewsdaily.com. Or you can also check out our social media to see what we're keeping up with at agnewsdaily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.